Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. You know, people see the Olympics and they think you're just so focused for that one year, when in reality it was the last four or five or six years of training trying to get to that moment. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm wearing my stretch pants, so I am ready for the parallel bars. But do you have your shorts handy? I have them on underneath. <laughs> yes, that's right. We are going back into the gymnastics arena to catch up again with Jake Dalton Uh, We talked with him several weeks ago, but we didn't get a chance to get to his Olympic experiences, so we're talking about that today. But first, we have to tell you who our Patreon patron of the week is. This makes us so happy. I know. This week, we are thanking the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant. Jason is a Patreon patron at uh, bronze level or above, and for that, we get to thank him on air. So thank you so much for your support, Jason. We really appreciate all you've done for our show. If you would like to be a Patreon patron of the week, visit patreon.com slash to find out how you can join this club. It's a very cool club. It is a very cool club. I I love it when we get to thank our Patreon patrons because it makes me happy inside all the time. Now on to our conversation with Jake Dalton. Jake competed at London 2012 and Rio 2016. Take a listen. All right. uh, I know we're running really short on time. We haven't even gotten to London and Rio. I knew this was going to happen. I know. (laughs) So you get chosen to go to London. How is it to get on your first Olympic team? Uh, It's it's incredible. It was you know, it was a, a lifelong goal of not only mine, there's just, there's so many people that are involved in your training, you know, your family and your teammates and everything. So it's a, it's a bittersweet moment because you do have teammates that, you know, train with you all the time and they just, their goal just kind of got demolished. You know, they didn't make that Olympic team. So it's a bittersweet moment, especially when they announce the team, everybody, all the guys are there with you. So, you know, they're very happy for you. You're really happy because your, your goal has been made. But it's also bittersweet because those guys who work just as hard, they just didn't maybe fit in the team as well on certain events or something like that. And their their dreams kind of disappear at that moment. So 
it's definitely a bittersweet moment, but it's really incredible. You know, a lot of a lot of hard work that you put in and you're just so kind of relieved, but you're also at that moment kind of nervous because now it's like, okay, I made the team, but now let's go represent as, as well as possible. Now, Lenda did not go as well as was hoped for the U.S. team. Right. How much did you take that to heart? I mean, you got there were so many great routines, and there was a, but the result was not what was anticipated. Right. Did that really sit with you to say, well, I did this wrong or I did this right, but there's only so much you can do because it depends on what everyone else does. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just you're kind of just more just shocked. It's like you know you guys could do better, but at the end of the day, it's a competition, and it's not you know. It's not what everybody put in. It's not what this guy did. It's not what that team did. It's literally that 15 to a minute and a half of when you're on that apparatus, how good can you do it at that single moment? So, but yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we qualified, I'm pretty sure we qualified in first after qualifying rounds, which is kind of a a strategy. I know some teams don't put up their best lineup in prelims. You know, we put up a pretty good lineup to make sure we get to finals and then the finals will adjust a little bit, but not. A crazy amount so we went in qualifying first I think that kind of took a lot of people kind of blindsided a lot of people I was like oh wow the men's team's in first they could potentially win when in reality yes we could have but you know people like Japan and China are not putting up their best event or best teams in prelims they're probably going to qualify to, to finals no matter what so they don't they rest some of their guys for us where we knew we could be top three, you know, we wanted to win. Obviously that was, that was a goal, but when you put everything on paper, it's going to be really hard to beat these guys unless they have a mistake. But then, yeah, then you kind of come away and you come away fifth. And I think just being inexperienced in the Olympic level was, uh, you know, we saw some teams that came out and did amazing. Great Britain came out and did amazing. And and some people, their, their teams just capitalize on the moment. And that's just, that's competition. But I was definitely a little, eye opened at that point and yeah you're you're gutted because that was our goal with the team first and and when you come away fifth you're just a little bit kind of heartbroken but you know we had event finals after that so you kind of just change your mindset get back into training and try and get ready for the next one so there was the big controversy the big scoring controversy in london where the team final it was it was originally announced as china uk ukraine and then i don't know how long it took but not terribly long and then it switched to china Japan, UK. What was that like being in the arena where the numbers come up and then they switch them? I, I, you know, I, vague, I vaguely remember that part. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of that. But I was at that point just kind of so, so bummed that we had placed fifth that after that, I was kind of not really paying attention to anything. You know, you're just kind of so shocked at what you're like, wow, I was expecting, you know, I, I think we all expected to come away with a medal no matter what, you know, we were like, we knew we were good enough. We just got to go to our job and, and we just kind of expected that. So I think I was just so shocked of, man, we just, did this really happen? It's like, yes, we just did the Olympics, which was so awesome, but we also came away fifth, which we did not expect at all. So I think I was just so shocked. And I, I vaguely remember them announcing something and the other team just being kind of completely shocked, just kind of like I was being in fifth and they got, I, you know, so it was something that I don't really remember too much. I was just trying to take everything in at that moment. What made you want to keep going for another Olympic cycle? 
I just knew, you know, I was pretty young and my body felt really good. I felt like I was kind of reaching that peak point in my career the next year or two. So there was no doubt in my mind. I was just ready to go back. I wanted to kind of definitely take a break and just mentally relax for a little bit, which, you know, we went on the Olympic tour, which was kind of nice and just kind of relax because you're so focused. You know, people see the Olympics and they think you're just so focused for that one year when in reality it was the last four or five or six years of training trying to get to that moment. So it was really nice to be able to kind of step back a little bit, relax, take things light for a couple months and then get back into it. But I was just, you know, motivated to get back in there and just continue to compete on that, that world level and just try to help the team as much as possible. Did you feel like you needed to change a lot with your routines between the two? So every four years, they, the, the code of points kind of changes. So you basically wait to see what happens with that. And then, yeah, you kind of adjust your routines. My, my goal was always to be, it's everybody's goal to always be as consistent as possible with the highest start value that you can get. But I always kind of veered towards being a little more consistent than maybe putting in a skill in my routine that I, you know, had only hit 30, 40% of the time. So I would always try to find, you know, things that flowed really well in the routine. I could do very clean, but I was also hitting, you know, 95% of the time if I could. So, yeah, I just kind of went back. You look at what code changes they make and just try to fit your routines with that code the best you can. So that brings me, I know we're going to talk about Rio real quick, but I do want to ask about the arms race, what I call the arms race of the tricks. Because certainly in women's gymnastics, it is just catapulting to insane levels. Men's right. not quite as quickly as it seems to be happening in women's. You seem to fall down a little bit more on the do it really well right. rather than do the craziest thing. Sort of where where what's your take on that? Yeah, I I mean the reason I did that was because I wanted to go out and show that I was I was ready and I was going to hit and it was something that they could count on. If I was it's just a little risky to go out and, and have a skill you might fall on. Yes, you might have a higher start value, but how often are you going to hit it? And my thought process was if I almost never miss a routine, it's hard to not have me on the teams that they're selecting, right? So when they're watching me compete, they're not looking, oh, well, he only hit two of the four routines. Do we want to put him in a lineup where we're going to do that uh, and, and kind of risk that he goes out and falls? You know, because in Olympic finals, when it's three up, three count, that means every routine, there's three uh, people competing on each event and all scores count. If you go up and fall, that dramatically reduces your team score. So that was always my thought process. But I think the women's, the skill level right now is progressing really, really fast. But I think majority with Simone, <laughs> she's, she is just really powerful, really unbelievable. And, uh, you know, she, I mean, she could out tumble me when I was training. So it's, it's crazy how powerful and the skills that she's doing now is, is really crazy. So 2016 was, there was such a circus around Simone Biles. Yeah, How was yeah. that for you, sort of being on the men's side of that piece? You know, it's, it's honestly, it's cool. Uh, it's, it's still a sport. We're all friends when we're there. You know, you see everybody and, and everybody knows each other pretty well. So it's, it's cool to see. And it's almost like when I'm competing with Kohei Uchimura, who was one of the, the best gymnasts ever, you know, and you're competing next to him. It's really cool. So it was pretty cool to be at the Olympics where it's almost, you know, it's the Michael Phelps of the gymnastics industry. Yes, it's on the women's side, but it was also really cool just to see everything kind of blow up and and her, you know, kind of still manage that pressure of what was coming to light. But it was just cool to be a part of it. You know, I can say I was there. I was at the same Olympics. You get to kind of watch it on more of a, of a personal level because you're actually there. 
So, uh, but it was really, really cool. I thought. <laughs> what was it like being named to your second team? Because gymnastics is one of the interesting sports in that they do, uh, you know, it's not necessarily how you finish at this meet. It's the, the coaching staff gets together and tries to put together a roster of people. So what I would imagine nothing's a sure shot for that second one. You're still, everyone's kind of on the same level playing field of starting at zero. Yes. Yes. And no. Um, I would say they, they still go back and they're still going to look at, you know, they're going to plug all the guys routines and scores and everything into a system. Uh, you are competing at USA Championships, and then a little bit later, you're competing at Olympic Trials, and there's two days to both of those. So now you're looking at four competitions. So if you're one of the guys that you go out to USA Championships and you fall three times on both days, you're kind of at a lower starting point. You know, you're going to have to do something dramatically good at the next two days to hopefully have a chance because your hit percentage is going to be pretty low, and they're going to look at that, right? So for me at the second one, I did really well at U.S. Championships, and I did really well at Olympic Trials. So I felt pretty confident, especially on the events. You know, I needed to hit on the events that I did, and I felt pretty confident going in. Like you said, you still never know. They could still put somebody else or pick a different team. Maybe they want the team to be stronger on parallel bars, high bar, than they do on floor and vault, you know? And um, that, that would just be the way it goes. But... I, I felt pretty confident after the, the the competitions that I put out there, and it was kind of just hope for the best at that point. But once once it was announced, it was again really really cool. Kind of felt like a you know a second chance at going back out and and getting a medal again. So I was excited about that opportunity, and also really nervous because you don't want to get injured. That's the point. It's like okay, I was just named to the Olympic team. I don't want to go home, start training again, and some freak accident where I get hurt and now I can't go to the Olympics. So it's also pretty stressful. And then after deciding to retire, like how much pain or how hard was it to maintain that peak fitness that you need for gymnastics? It's more of the mental aspect, I would say. It's just, you know, you just put in, you know, if you look at the last two Olympics, that's eight years plus the training before that. And everything in your life is revolved around that sport. And, you know, there's just not that I regret anything, but there's things like family. Every time you're seeing your family once a year, they're, they're getting older and you know, you're just missing out on things and you kind of realize that there's more to life than just gymnastics. And also at the same point, your body is starting to kind of fail. You know, I had a couple surgeries. Uh, I came back, we had to compete a couple of months after the Olympics cause they kind of changed some rules where we used to have a, like a six to eight month grace period on the national team. So you're still getting paid after the world's or Olympic and you had time to kind of recover, relax. And uh, after the Rio Olympics, they kind of changed some things and we had to go compete in February. And it was after our tour, which we weren't really, you know, doing a lot of training or just doing a show. So I went there, I got hurt and kind of had a, a scope on my knee again to get some like little kind of fractures and bone chips out of my knee. And it was just getting to where I felt like my body was starting to fail. I didn't have a lot of the motivation that I had before to go in the gym and actually put 100% effort in and that's kind of when you're you're going to get hurt if you're not really fully focused on everything and it, it was kind of just came full circle I was like you know I, I didn't have the motivation to go in the gym and train as much as I wanted to and it was sad at the point where I, I loved going in and training with the guys and having that but also the amount of, of stress and the competitions and you know you're not the, the tour you make a lot of money but as a gymnast you're not usually making a ton of money and I was just like how, how much how longer do I go you know especially with my body I don't 
I didn't want to compete at a level that I didn't feel like I was being, I was proud of, you know, I didn't want to be hurt and compete at this level all the time instead of here. And I kind of felt like my body was going to get to that point. So I kind of just put it all together and took some time and was like, you know what, I think, I think it's time to hang everything up and, uh, and kind of move on. What has retirement been like for you? Cause you've gotten married since, correct? Yeah, I got married in, actually, I got married in 2014. You, uh, so okay, we've been married, married for, yep. Between. Okay. Yeah, and married for a how while. Is, how is your wife doing? Because she had a, a really bad accident in training. Yeah, she did. She broke her back, um, actually doing a release move on bars. So she kind of clipped the bars and she fell back with her feet that came over her head. Um, so she ended up breaking her back, but she had surgery. And I mean, she's great now. Uh, she Excellent. probably could have competed. It was her senior year, so she could have redshirted and maybe competed the next year. But it was just, it was at the point where how much, you know, the risk versus reward of, of training another year and getting older and you just got to be careful with things like that. So, um, but she's great now. She, she works out all the time and, and yeah, she has no issues, obviously a oh, little good. sore back here and there, you know, but uh, no, she's, yeah, she's great. So it's awesome. <laughs> I, love how, I love in gymnastics, how getting older is 22. <laughs> it, it's crazy. Especially for it women. Is, you know, yeah, at for least, women especially. It, yeah, at least with men, you guys have to go through puberty, <laughs> right? Compete, you know, because you have to get the strength. You know, right, guys. It used to be, you know, thirty, thirty-two used to be kind of the age that you're done, and just, you know, the amount of stress your body's taking from the bigger skills and the more pounding and everything like that. I think the the age is the age limit is kind of slowly creeping down. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jake. You can follow Jake on Instagram. He is Jake underscore Dalton. He's also Jake underscore Dalton on Twitter. On Facebook, he is official Jake Dalton. And he also has a YouTube channel, Jake Dalton. So check out his videos there. He's posted some new ones lately, I've noticed. So With his biceps. Sure. Yeah, I know, right? So be sure to check him out. And uh, we also wanted to mention that his wife is Kayla Nowick. She was injured in 2012 as a gymnast with the University of Oklahoma. I read a couple articles about mm -hmm. that injury. She sustained it in uh, practice mm -hmm. on the uneven parallel bars. And the one line that stuck with me in all the articles I read is, if you were in the gym, you may not have seen the accident, but you heard it. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, I was very happens. glad to hear that she is fully recovered. Yeah, I that. know. I was but... really surprised when I had read about it and like, oh, you broke your back and... And fully recovered to the point, like, oh, I could go back. Right. That's just amazing. So it's, it's what she else had I, some amazing surgeons, that's for sure. Yeah, right. What else I thought was interesting was hearing that countries have strategies going into the team competition. You know what? I knew that, but I didn't know it. Right? I just like, oh, put some people out there and we'll get through the first round. And then we can replace them with their... A number ones. You know, when we talked to uh, we talked when we talked to Mallory Comerford, and even when we talked to Dawn Harper Nelson, she talked about the strategy going through the earlier rounds. Mm -hmm. You know, any sport that has these multiple rounds, how much do you put out there? You know, how much energy do you expend, and how much do you save? So it's the kind of thing for the team too. You know, how much of those big guns do you t do you use? or save. And then there's also, in the old days, there would have been the issue of that score inflation. Oh. You know, when it was just the 10 scale, mm -hmm. you wanted to make sure that you infl you put high enough scores, but left yourself room to go up 
but put a high enough base car. Now it's a little different because, you know, like Jake was talking about the first time we spoke to him, each move has a point value. You know what your start value is going to be. Right. So that also now plays into it, you know, how yeah. the, the start values go. So it's judging and competition are so much more complicated than what we see. Yeah. Yeah. And this was just really interesting insight into just the strategic game of gymnastics that I didn't right. really know existed. So thank you, Jake. We appreciate you telling us all about that. Let's move on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu. This is a segment where we catch up with our previous guests who are members of Team Olympic Fever. This segment is sponsored by PinCollector.com. PinCollector is the world's largest free online community for Olympic pin collectors, and it's a great place to catalog value and show off your collection. The catalog contains over 26,310 pins, I believe, because I added some this week. Added to my collection. I added a little Misha pin. I added some very cool Rio pins. Very excited to be able to contribute to the catalog. So, because it, it updates in real time, so it's really cool. It'll be great when we go to Tokyo and can just take pictures of pins all the time and add them to the catalog. So, it, it's also a platform where you can buy, sell, and trade. And the rates are lower than other online platforms. You know, you can now purchase an Olympic Fever pin. I I love to. Well, you can do it on Pin Collector because the pin is on Pin Collector. But you can also become a Patreon patron. Or you can make a one-time $20 PayPal donation and you can get yours. Visit olimfever.com slash support hyphen the hyphen show for more. So what's going on with our peoples? Oh, this is awesome. Lauren Gibbs was teaming with Kelly Humphreys again in the bobsled and they won gold at the St. Moritz stop on the World Cup circuit. She was very, very excited about that. She was. And that's such a cool bobsled run because it's the only natural one on the World Cup circuit. And oh, I'm yeah. I remember she, she talked to us about that. Mm-hmm about how different that felt than every uh, other. So that's a cool one to win. Yeah, and it's they've been playing uh, replays of it on the Olympic channel. And the announcers keep talking about how quiet the track is. And one of them is a, a skeleton athlete. And she's been doing commentary for bobsled when she's not competing. And she says that you can hear the track announcer when you're on the track. Because oh, that the, must be so the track strange. is so quiet. Yeah. Wow. And, and a little disconcerting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, an aside, speaking of the Olympic Channel, I have a new initiative, and it's to get the Olympic sports on TV more. When okay. Out. Well, it's not on TV more. It's actually being able to watch the Olympic sports more when I am out and about. Now, Ben and I like to go to bars, and I have started asking them to put the Olympic Channel on. And oh, when look they, at you. Yeah, can you, you know, can you take a TV can you put the Olympic channel on? And everybody has been great to ask. Not everybody, not every location subscribes to it. But I've learned that on DirecTV, it's channel 624. Oh, so it's not that they won't put on the Olympic channel right. when you it's ask. Like, it's it's that a, they it's they a, not have it. Yeah, do they have the package that has it? Some places do, some places don't. So your mileage may vary, but get has Olympic anybody, sports on people's radars. Has anybody said no, they wouldn't put the channel on no. even if they hide it? Uh, no, because I'm no to at like usually it's quiet or it's late or nobody you know if nobody's there or you just like can I have the TV in front of me and they're happy to turn one TV on. So. And there's always somebody else looking over your shoulder. Exactly. I know I do that. So it was great. We had the luge on a couple weeks ago, sitting in a bar, having a beer, watching the luge. That was. The best. I would think that would make people thirsty. 
you know, you looking at all the ice, you want an icy cold drink. There you go. See, it could be spreading Olympic sports and a great marketing plan for a bar. There you go. Especially when you start getting into water sports. Yes. Makes people thirsty. <laughs> or have to go to the bathroom, which right. is a whole Olymp other issue. Olympic Channel, we have a new marketing push for you to get your viewership up. Olympics makes people thirsty. Okay, back to our right. awesome people. Exactly, exactly. Over into uh, speed skating at the ISU Four Continents Championships, Aaron Jackson placed fourth in the 500 meter. And then in the team sprint ladies, the U.S. team placed fourth as well, except for there were just four teams for that. So, oh. But, you know, she's doing well. Doing yeah. Really no, well. We're getting that... close to the end of the season. So that's looking forward to seeing what she does. Yeah, nice. And we have more exciting things. Exactly. Our Taekwondo athlete, Madeline Gorman-Shore, took third at a meet in Turkey, which we saw on Instagram. So good for yes. her. Nice to see her on the podium, getting ready to uh, hopefully qualify for Tokyo. And then finally, our bobsled stud, Josh Williamson, as part of Hunter Church's four-man team, was nominated for Team USA's Team of the Month for January. So and we're, we're recording before the, the voting ends, but we'll have the results next week or you'll see it on, on our socials as yes. well. Very excited for him. I read this week, the USA bobsled and skeleton newsletter came out and the bobsled teams, there was a little coaches thing. When they have team dinners, they have a no cell phone policy. So everyone's forced to be talking to each other and building relationships and having a lot of camaraderie and it's helping. Oh, good. As I said, they're really coming together as a team and working nicely. And Hunter Church had that rule for his four-man and two-man teams before the whole bobsled did it. You know who else has a newsletter? We do. And it comes out on Tuesdays. So and it's fun. It is fun. We have favorite Olympic moments uh, suggested by our listeners. We have stuff we're reading and watching. And we have a little behind-the-scenes action from every episode. So check it out. You can... Sign up at olimfever.com slash newsletter. Okay, so do we have to talk about the bad news first? Yeah, so let's move on to some Tokyo 2020 news. For once, smart enough to put the bad news at the top so that we don't end on a bad note. Remember that months-long run we went? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was having issues. I, I'm still in therapy over that. We're talking doping first. And WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, has asked RUSADA, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency, for their hearing to be public. Now, this will be the hearing, uh, the appeal on WADA's initial latest decision to ban Russia. So that will be made public so that all interested parties, like us, can uh, hear what's going on in real time. That's kind of an interesting thing that Russia said, yeah, that's, that's cool with us. But in athletics news... World Athletics has said that Russia is on the verge of being expelled from the International Federation because of all of the doping scandals and they're just not getting cleaned up. And they've been banned from athletics for a long time. And Good, 2015. Yes. So now this is thinking of being upgraded to an expulsion. But its entire executive committee has resigned this week in, in the wake of that the right. Russian Athletic yes. Federation yes. Executive Committee. Exactly. So they've resigned, and we'll see what happens now. If they can get in a new leadership board, that will be clean. 
And all this just months before Tokyo. Right. So the it's... the Rosada Wada yeah, hearings, so... the the Russia. I mean, the fact that this is happening, the fact that this was started back in twenty fifteen mm-hmm. and we're in a third Olympics right. still dealing with this. Yeah, we and keep... it's it's frustrating. I, I bet as an athlete it's frustrating because you don't necessarily know who you're going to get to represent. Or do you just, after a while, you just say, well, this is what is is, and I'm just going to keep going. And what happens, happens. i got to block it out as best I can. Yeah. I don't know. It's a very weird situation. And for such a huge country. Right. For such a huge, I mean, they send giant teams to both summer and winter. Mm-hmm. And that we're still dealing with this so many years later is mind-boggling. Well, let's go on to some other bad news. We're going to have to mention the coronavirus a little bit. Now, uh, gosh, I don't even want to go to coronavirus land. Mostly because I think it's like Zika. I think it'll be around, but I think it'll go away. Because uh, there was an article in the Washington Post that talked about the virus and could it have an effect on the Tokyo games. But the one bright hope is that coronavirus is a pneumonia type disease and that type of virus does not do so well in the summer when it's hot. It survives better in colder weather. So it could be like Zika and, you know, Zika was spread by mosquitoes, but the Rio games were held during winter slash spring. And so no mosquitoes. So this could be another situation with coronavirus. So the the one good thing that will come of the fact that everyone's going to burst into flames in Tokyo is that the coronavirus will be burned out. That is what I hope. Even the coronavirus cannot survive <laughs> the <laughs> Tokyo crazy. heat. Yes, but for now, it is causing a few headaches. Reuters compiled a whole list of international sporting events that are affected by the coronavirus because a lot of championships have been canceled and a lot of Olympic qualifiers got moved. So a boxing qualifier got moved to Jordan. And then I know a lot of Chinese athletes can't go to these qualifiers because they're not allowed to leave China. Right. So that's so there's that issue as well. Right. So they're training in isolation. Another, a basketball qualifier got moved from uh, Foshan to Belgrade. And stuff that was around the, the Beijing Olympics that's also been postponed or canceled. A lot right, of the winter this week events. Is two, yes. Right, because this year, uh, this week rather, is exactly two years out. Right. So, from, so they were doing events around that, and that's all been shut down. Right. It's causing a lot of headaches, but hopefully, this will not be another. This will not be something that will linger on for the summer. Oh, okay. scary stuff. Right. Let's move on to happier Tokyo news. The Ariake Arena is done and has been inaugurated. So this is where volleyball and wheelchair basketball will take place. Very nice. Very exciting. And then the volleyball tournament, their pools were announced. And that will be for the men in Pool A. You'll have Japan, Poland, Italy, Canada, Iran, and Venezuela. And in Pool B will be Brazil, the U.S., uh, Russia, Argentina, France, and Turkey. And on the women's side, Pool A will be Japan, Serbia, Brazil, South Korea, Dominican Republic, and Kenya. And in Pool B will be China, U.S., Russia, Italy, Argentina, and Turkey. So that will be exciting. It does sound a bit like a Mad Libs list of countries. (laughs) 
I mean, I know they, they put a lot of effort into making the pools balanced and, and mm -hmm. the world's rankings, but just as you were reading them out, I'm like, did they just reach into a velvet <laughs> bag and just pull out various flags? I was like, oh, yes, this will be the country that we also put in the volleyball pool. <laughs> One interesting note about wheelchair basketball that was kind of surprising when we saw this come across the uh, the newswires. It's like the games reports that the International Paralympic Committee might kick wheelchair basketball out of the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics because, as they had on a, pre a press release on their website, the IPC has said that the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation, their athlete classification does not comply with the IPC athlete classification code. So they may be taken out of the Tokyo 2020 tournament. They've also been removed from the Paris 2024 game sport, pro sport program. When we spoke to Giles Long about the classifications in Paralympic, it's very complex. It's not a simple, oh, you go here, you go there. But you would think, I mean, wheelchair basketball has got to be one of the original Paralympic sports. Right. It is a classic Paralympic sport. So that was really shocking news for me to hear because I just don't know that world very much. But uh, hopefully they can pull something together. They've got some deadlines to follow if they can implement an IPC-approved action plan to improve athlete classification by the 29th of May, they sh should be able to stay in the Tokyo Games, and then they have to fully comply with the IPC athlete classification code by the 31st of August 2021 for the Paris 2024 Games. So. Wow. Well, that May date is very close right. to so, when the, mm -hmm. uh, the Paralympics begin. Wow. Very, very interesting. The tournament structure was announced for baseball. And it makes no sense. You know, it's it's a type of tournament that's got a group stage and a knockout stage. And the group stage has two groups. There's only six teams in this tournament, which is pretty amazing to me that it's so small. And you, you, it makes you say, well, no wonder baseball and softball don't stay in the games that often because it just doesn't seem like it's that well-played worldwide. But anyway, so you have... And I wonder, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no. I wonder if the reason they're keeping the teams, the number of teams so small, is because it's just so many athletes and we've got those new limits. Yeah, it could be. On it could the be. number yeah. of, and, of I mean, athletes. Yeah, you are dealing with teams. Teams have a lot of athletes on them and a lot of support staff too. So they put a big drain on... Uh... But teams just don't feel like much of an Olympic... Like, being the winner of a six-team tournament doesn't feel like much. Right, but if you've got an Olympic gold medal around your neck, nobody will remember you were in a six-team tournament. So you've got a group stage and a knockout stage, two groups in Group A and Group B. The knockout stage has a, kind of a round one, a round two, a semifinals and a medal game, and losers get slotted into a repassage bracket uh, that will eventually play for the bronze or they could get back into the gold-silver match, depending on so how you fall. The, the benefit of winning games is that you get to skip other games. Correct. You get Because to the more. losers keep getting additional chances. They just have to keep playing more and more games. Right. So losers play more and more games. And like the, the first round of repassage is a loser versus a loser. And whoever loses that game is just out of the tournament. Right. 
and that's how they start knocking people out. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a good tournament. Right now, we only have who who do we have? I know you looked this up. Who do we have I in did. the tournament? We have Japan, South Korea, Mexico, and Israel. Okay, so there two are, teams left. Yeah, there are two more qualifiers. One will be in March in Arizona, and one will be in April in Chinese Taipei. And there's a whole host of countries playing in each tournament. It's the the March uh, tournament in Arizona is the Americas qualifier, mm-hmm. but the April one in Chinese Taipei is the second and third finishers of all the regional qualifiers. Oh, that's really interesting. So, so it's kind again, of like it's... a repassage tournament for the qualifiers. Yes. So what's interesting is when you look at the Americas tournament, you've got Dominican Republic, Cuba, and the U.S. all playing for a single spot. Oh, wow. Powerhouses. Which is yeah. interesting. That comes back to it's interesting that it's only a six-team tournament, but likely because so many athletes per team. Right. Fascinating. So You know the Japanese are going to love it, though. They, yeah. are, they are baseball crazy. Yeah, that'll be fun. That will be fun to watch. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. Let us know what you think about the gymnastics tournament going into Tokyo. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. Call our voicemail hotline at 530-70-FEVER. We're Olimfever on Twitter and Insta and Olympic Fever Podcast Group on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Sitting in a bar, having a beer, watching the luge. Do 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 do.